You're listening to The Association Show. My name is Torben Grosser. And I'm Katrina Franzoy. In this episode, you will get to listen to the big live events debate hosted by Liz Caruso from Taxi Talk alongside Josephine von Wasen from PCMA, Susan Mattis from the US Bowling Congress, and Joan Eisenstadt, who I believe needs no further introduction, and Sean Chang from Dahlia Plus Agency, even though I guess he also doesn't need an introduction either. If you're wondering, what the point is of offering presentations as a podcast. Go back to episode zero, where I make a little more time to explain how we got here. And before we begin with the session in its entirety, let us provide you with some context on why we chose the structure of this particular session. So in episode one, we mentioned that after the opening session, we wanted to bring in an interactive session where the audience could influence the session, but also could be easily scaled to work with hundreds of attendees. I remember in one meeting, I mentioned to Torben that I was so done with watching virtual events that didn't have something that engaged the audience. Most virtual events I was watching were really, really boring. Uh, so that's when Torben came up with the idea for a debate. And I remember you were so obsessed with this idea. So what were you thinking and why was it so important to you? Okay, yeah, there's there's a bit of a backstory, and I'm actually not sure if I even explained that to you during, you know, when we, we were producing it, which I guess I should. Um, <laughs> I trusted so you. <laughs> I, I studied in, in Edinburgh in Scotland, and my friend Sarah, who I knew from high school, she studied in Oxford in England, and so once a semester we would visit each other. And she took me to a debate at Oxford University, and I, I had no idea what a debate was, so... Um, I mean, I know what a debate is, but not what a debate is. So imagine this. You go to that debate and there's a statement that you know already before the debate. And the statement is always formulated like, this house believes blank. So when I went, for example, the debate was, this house believes Islam is a religion of peace. Obviously, that's a pretty intense debate and you walk through a weird massive wooden door frame that has two wings to it and there's a slightly inconveniently placed metal pole in the middle of that door and above one half of the door it says nose and above the other half it says eyes so nose and yeses depending on your stance, so depending on you know where you stand with the statement, you walk through either door and then you sit down in this 200-year-old building with wooden benches and there's like ornaments on the walls and so on. It's, it's really beautiful. And then someone reads the opening statement and then in each team, in alternating order, they bring forward their opening remarks. And what really struck me as opposed to like the debates that you watch on TV or like in a talk show is just that sheer discipline and preparation. Like nobody will interrupt the speaker. And if they want to, they can shout point of interest and the speaker can then either acknowledge or dismiss that. And if they don't want to let that person talk, that person will not talk. And it brings out a really beautiful flow of ideas and an exchange that it's, it's almost like watching a fencing tournament like it's so elegant and afterwards um then the debaters go into like a direct attack of each other of their not of each other actually of their arguments which is so so beautiful and then there's time for audience questions 
And then everybody walks through these same doors in order to cast their votes. And actually, the, the team that wins is not the team that has gotten the most votes, but the team that managed to move the, um, the audience the biggest apart from the initial from the initial statement and i was just stunned by the beauty and the elegance of this process and and then i remembered the words of two people i admire um dr joe jeff Gottlet and garrett yesen um both argued that an event is only an event if it changes people and so i wanted to bring this into into this session really that's the story I loved it. So when Torben told me that, I was like, let's do it. This sounds like something that would be totally engaging. So since we were a really small team, we contracted this one out to Liz Caruso, a name in the events industry that if you don't know, you probably should. Um, we've worked with Liz and her team before, so we knew that they could deliver. And the other reason for contracting it out was we all have biases. If we were to find people for the debate, we would know who we'd want to choose and it would, it would ultimately shape the argument. So we had to remove ourselves. By handing this to someone else, we knew we would attract people beyond our circles who could provide points we might not have even thought of. And also, I'm German, so I'm a sucker for punctuality. So I told Liz we needed to pre-record the statements. And if, if you listen to episode one, you know I love pre-recording stuff um, in order to make the panelists stick to their time. And it will also simplify the production. But actually, uh, it was Liz, but also already before I told Liz, you were already pushing back really hard on this. So we pushed back a little bit on this for sure. Um, we insisted on the live aspect and as a compromise, we introduced a timer on screen that both the speakers and audience could see. So the pre and post votes were done using our audience interaction tool, allowing the audience to really contribute and also see how the debate shaped the argument. And then we also allowed points of interest from the chat to be displayed in the stream. Uh, speaking of which, the interaction and meta debate in the chat were really, really high. Mm -hmm. It was like its own separate debate happening in the chat. And, and that's one thing where virtual events excel. Um, during an in-person session, it's customary to remain quiet unless you want to raise a point. Talking is disturbing to others, right? So. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what, about you, but I do shush people in, in cinemas. Uh, so yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I don't shush people necessarily, but I'll do the thing where I'll, I'll look to one side and look around going, hmm, what's that sound coming from? As an as a sign for people to be like, oh, I should be quiet. That's as far as I go <laughs> in my passive aggressiveness. But anyways, going back to the point, um, in online events, the chat can simply be moved aside or the video can move to full screen if you want to focus purely on what's being said. So allowing for these kinds of discussions to happen is extremely engaging and a true value add. Also, it's probably the session that works best in podcast format. So want to find out? Here we go. This house believes in-person events are critical to the growth and engagement of associations. Enjoy, everyone. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with you all today. I'm watching the chat, seeing so many friendly faces, and I'm, I'm so excited about this format. Um, EventMobi came to me with this idea of doing a debate-style discussion around this topic that Katrina was just talking about, which is all around the role that in-person events and virtual events play in the growth of an association and their membership and also that engagement piece. That's This is one of those things that I have seen so many times, <laughs> and I have seen it in 
all the different uh, Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups. I see it everywhere. And so I'm just really, really excited to be here and help curate this discussion. We have a really short time to have this discussion and I'm not gonna spend all of it talking. So I'm just gonna give you kind of an idea of how the flow will be, talk about our four amazing speakers who are joining us today and then we're gonna hand it off to them. So each speaker, we have four great speakers who are joining us today representing two sides of the debate, that in-person is so critical to the growth and engagement of association members, and that virtual is really where it's at. And so we have those two sides of the debate, two speakers on each side. They will each individually get three minutes to share their side of why they believe that particular perspective. And then we'll take a short break and then we will give them a few more minutes as a team. The two of them will have two more minutes to kind of make some rebuttals and add some last thoughts. Uh, but first, we want to see where you are weighing in. So we have a short poll that we're going to share. Um, if we can put that up, we want to see where you are currently feeling about this topic. Do you feel like it's it's definitely in person? We have to get back to that in-person component in order to grow and be successful with our associations, or is virtual just as good? That's the question, kind of the complete opposite. So I see those are coming in. I know that we have much more than five people watching. So take a second, please, and uh, put in your poll results here. And we will, uh, let's just see if we get any more here. All right. Um, all right. So we see almost 50-50. This is a lot of fun. So we're going to pull you guys again at the end to see where you're coming in. Um, and in the meantime, let me introduce our other speakers. We have uh, on the pro virtual side, I'll start there. Uh, we have Joan Eisenstadt who's joining us. She is going to tell us her perspective and I'm very excited about that. She is a consultant and speaker and I've seen her comments in a lot of different groups. So I'm really excited to hear from her. We also have Sean Cheng from Dahlia Plus. Uh, you may know him as a, a leader in the virtual space and in digital forward thinking. So we're excited to hear his thoughts. Then we have on the um, pro in-person side, some very valid points as well. So we're gonna hear from Josephine Van Wassen with PCMA. She is going to be talking to us about their perspective on why in-person is so critical. And we're also talking to Susan Mathis from the United States Bowling Congress. We wanna make sure we hear her perspective. So each speaker is going to have three minutes. And I can see just by looking at this, we're very close. We're looking at 60% of you thinking virtual, 40% thinking really pro in person. I would love to see where you guys come out at the end of this. So let me first introduce our very first speaker. I'm going to hand it to Josephine Van Wassen from PCMA. Josephine, you have three minutes. You're going to see the countdown and uh, we will cut you off right at the time. So please share your thoughts on pro in person, why you think this is so critical to the growth of association. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Liz. Happy to go first and convince more people to me on my side. So if it really has to be either or, I'm surely pro in person. And it's not because of the, this is how we have always done it in the past, because I think we all clearly know that the key to success is not the, this is how we have always done it. But it's really looking into how your members, what your members need and want, and understand why they're turning to you, what they're looking for with you as an association. And that has clearly changed through COVID, most not only um, across the industry, but also across the, across the globe. And with that in mind, it's important to look at the association's overall long-term vision and strategy. 
assuming that growth and engagement are the key objectives of your organization, I'm definitely pro in person. And because associations, as already I've read in the chat earlier, create communities that engage professionals beyond the one-time touch points, but associations build long-term relationships to drive change and create impact. And within communities, we are social creatures, so we are looking for the real human interaction. And that clearly happens at face-to-face -face events. And because that's where the association takes place, takes, shape, takes real shape. So where you as where you can create engagement with all senses and creating those engagement and experiences create the sense of belonging, being part of the bigger picture and being part of the mission of the association. And that's very important for retention, but also for turning members into active ambassadors for your association and those ambassadors eventually help you win new members and grow your association. And that is only growth in the context of membership. But growth in the financial aspect or maintaining an income is the other aspect of it. And the key factor on this side are successful collaboration with partners and sponsors. And an important element of those collaboration and creating those opportunities for your partner, partners and sponsors are exhibitions and booths options. So where your, your partners can meet, really meet with your members face to face or online. So from a recent digital insight studies that we have done um, from PCMA with AC Forum, we have found out that the majority of partners actually did not find the digital options really turn out the way they wanted to. And that is for two options. A, because attendees didn't really engage with them online. So the engagement that we want to create in order for the growth opportunity did not really turn out online and ultimately that RI that sponsors were looking for did not materialize the way they were hoping to. That's why from the financial aspect, um, on-site and in-person, that works way more efficiently. And this financial aspect is very crucial in the success for the um, for partnership and ultimately for the financial aspect and the growth. And I think with that, Liz is coming back and I'm handing back over. That was amazing. You you used exactly three minutes. So thank you for sharing your perspective. We're going to come right back to you to get some more thoughts after we've heard from our other speakers. So let me introduce Joan Eisenstadt, who will join us next and share her thoughts on the pro virtual argument. Oh, you are muted, Joan. <laughs> Let's hit that mute button on the bottom. Um, You're good. Hold on. Okay, hold on. Um, thanks. Now we're good. Yeah. Yes, you are. So I don't get three minutes knocked off. All right. So um, we're starting the clock. Yeah. So yes, you're good. Um, the first is that I've been involved in virtual learning and um, cohesive virtual communities since the early '90s, and I've maintained contact with many of the people that I've been involved with over many years, and often not seeing them. In fact, there are clients I work with that I have never met in person and only worked with virtually. Uh, I work almost exclusively with associations and have done so for more than 40 years with my own company and doing a lot of different work. One of the things that we know is that association members and their needs and abilities are more diverse than ever. Budgets for associations and personal budgets are less robust than pre-COVID. We also know that cities and cities and workers in cities have to also have an income stream. Virtual makes it a little more difficult. We've got to figure those issues out. Still in favor of virtual. 
child and other care and travel availability and dollars are barriers to an abundance of varied professional development that virtual can meet easily. In fact, for me, during all of COVID, I have spent a lot of time learning virtually. eCornell, if you haven't used it, has been an incredible resource for learning and connectivity. I've met people I would never have had an opportunity to meet who are related to the association world of meetings, but not within my sphere. DEI that we all talk about um, in associations now finally is beginning to include PWDs, persons with disabilities, among whom I number myself. That means that virtual can be far more inclusive than a physical meeting that requires travel and perhaps assistance. Safety is always paramount. When producing a physical meeting, right now we're mainly concerned with COVID. COVID is not over yet, not around the world and not as we reopen travel. We also know that weapons continue to be an issue and when we are physically together, they become a greater issue. We've seen a greater increase in physical crime as people begin to gather again. And lastly, in addition to being able to form strategic and cohesive communities, we can, when attending virtually, dress far more comfortably than we would at a physical meeting. And I can yield my time. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. This is, uh, doing this live is such a risk, trying to keep to the time, but thank you for doing that and speaking uh, so eloquently. So we will come back to you in just a second. We're now going to Susan Mathis with the United States Bowling Congress to go back to side one. Hi, Susan. Hello, good morning. Um, so um, I, not to overuse a word that we're probably all sick of, but I think pivot is, is a good word for the way my thought process has changed. Um, thinking about virtual and live events. Um, I work for an association that is dedicated to a sport of bowling. And that just in a nutshell does not lend itself well to a virtual experience. Um, we mm -hmm. did an, uh, an annual convention last year and um, it was a virtual experience out of an abundance of, of caution. Um, and it, it provided the information that people needed, but it just didn't include that human interaction that everybody needed. Um, everybody's looking forward to doing having a live event um, next year. Um, and our membership um, gave us lots of feedback that that's what they were looking to do. And, and our membership tends to skew um, older than the average population. So it was a surprise how, how much the support was there for a live event. Um, I think virtual elements can definitely enhance and simplify an in-person event and can even lead to cost savings and things like that, depending on the situation. Um, so I do think that hybrid events are, are gonna be around for a long time, but um, when you're dealing with something, especially around a sport, like my association is, um, live events are, are hard to duplicate um, in the process. Um, we're inherently social creatures. We need the interaction. And I've found that bowlers in particular are very social 
chatty people and they just don't tend to have that same level of back and forth um, on a virtual platform as they do face-to-face and in person. So um, I, having said that, my pivot is I came from a medical uh, education association and virtual worked a lot better um, in that realm, but sport is a whole different thing. Um, so I think that it really does depend on you, the mission of your association and what your members want. So um, definitely a pivot. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right. We are going to our fourth and final speaker in this speed round, and then we're going to take a little break, let our two teams chat with each other and come up with their rebuttal strategy. Um, and then we will give them a chance to speak once again. But let's hand this over to Sean Cheng from Dahlia Plus. Hello, everyone. Um, and I hope you guys can hear me okay. And uh, um, I will get started. So uh, I think both me and Joan, Joan, Joan here that we are not questioning the effectiveness and even importantness of in-person events that we understand, especially now, probably until 2023, people are eager to meet again. Uh, I had a lot of association clients, and that is the constantly uh, point that I receive is they cannot wait to meet again. But this revenge travel or revenge event uh, will pass. And then after this pass, I think association then need to ask the question is, uh, what exactly is my community want? Is it is they only one event or they actually, because of COVID, that their behavior had changed. They're starting to know there are other options or, or solutions that can give them what they want. In-person events and conferences are not the reason association exists. In-person events having a very proven strategy that help associate, association achieve their goal. But equally, we also know a lot of digital opportunity can do the same as effectiveness, if not more. Last but not least, um, if your association values accessibility, inclusion, and all the DEI topics seriously, which you should, you should, by the way, then how can in-person events be a must-have for your event when in-person events actually have a lot of obvious limitation um, to give your audience access to your content, to your event? In-person event is important and they are continuing to be, um, but we should not limit the option of digital offering. And that is kind of uh, our point. Thank you. My goodness. Okay. So lots of things to think about. I want to give the two teams a few minutes to just uh, debrief with each other. Thank you, Sean, for giving us your thoughts. Um, what we want to do now is give each team as a, as a, a team two additional minutes to respond to the thoughts. Um, we're looking at these kind of two extremes, which is one of those things that I think is uh, challenging. I know for myself, I'm a middle of the road person. I like to think, well, you know, some of what, you know, Susan and Josephine said makes sense. I also am totally understanding a lot of what Sean and Joan are saying. And so I'm kind of in the middle trying to pull it together. Uh, but I really am curious what this is doing to you as the attendees. So please, you know, check in in the chat. Let us know what you're thinking. I see you guys agreeing with some of these points. Really understanding for an association, what does this mean for your organization and the path forward 
as we would look at in-person versus um, virtual. So I hope our, our teams are ready. I'm going to transition over to Josephine and Susan to share some of their final thoughts. You guys have two minutes. Um, Josephine, do you want to kick it off and then we'll go to Susan for your two minutes here? Yeah, sure. I hope we can convince some more of you to go back to in-person or be pro-in-person. Um, so I just want to pick up the point around saving travel time and budget, which is obviously a very valid point. But when at home we compete with um, with your kids, we compete with the free time, we compete, you know, everything else that um, gets you away from the computer and actually em em emails listening to the content and what the event creates and shares for you. So, you know, when being at in-person, you're more focused on what, ha what happens on site. You're more focused on the discussions in the hallways, on the networking. So I think what you get out of it from, from live events as an attendee and ultimately as an organization is just way bigger. And ultimately, what we also have found out actually in the Digital Insights study is that once you're on site, your commitment to the event is much bigger. So you focus more, you're more present and more engaged. And that ultimately, ultimately contributes to the growth. Susan, what would you like to add? Um, I would just uh, like to add that I think, you know, the, the key driver in, in all of these decisions is should really come from the bottom up. And I think it's it's critical to listen to your members to really um, engage with what their challenges are, what they're looking for. Um, and if you reflect the wishes and the desires of your members and create a great product, no matter what that looks like. I think in the end, um, you're gonna win and they're gonna win as well. Um, and it'll be that much easier for them to continue to support your organization. So I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. And again, I think as long as we all continue to be flexible and be willing to pivot um, as the world changes around us, then we'll be able to produce really effective, productive events for everybody. You guys are masters at the timing. Thank you so much, Josephine and Susan, for sharing your thoughts today. Let's hand it over to Sean and Joan to see uh, what they are thinking. Uh, Sean, I'll hand it to you first, and then we'll go to Joan. Sounds good. Um, so um, I think our point um, is uh, we believe in-person events are equally important, um, but we want to challenge the debate topic, which is in-person event is absolute critical and important for any association. Um, I think pandemic just proves again that a diverse revenue stream for any association are actually more critical. And therefore, if your association are only tied with in-person, then you have trouble. DEI is equally important and should be centered there every association. You just cannot do that if you only focus on in-person. And Joanne, do you have anything you want to add with our last 30 seconds? I, I do, Sean, a couple of things. One is, Susan, I agree. Um, there are some meetings that just cannot happen without the physical aspect. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, We've also had virtual, uh, successful virtual events for a long time, and they've been part of physical events. We've been able to meet successfully as teams, um, as colleagues, and learning throughout COVID and before that. Um, associations depend on their annual meeting income to run the associations. And so what we're going to have to do is relook at the budget model for all of us to try to figure out how to do that. 
meeting disruptions happen. We've had to pivot to meet those disruptions. And we will again. We did it through 9-11, Katrina, Sandy, Ida, all of the things that the, the weather issues. And entirely virtual or virtual components of meetings created with access for all um, are the future of inclusive, diverse, global connectivity and associations. Well, thank you so much. Um, such a great way to end this conversation. So thank you, Joan and Sean, for sharing your thoughts and to all of our speakers today. This is, again, it's one of those topics that I see in every LinkedIn group and every Facebook group, everyone is talking about one side or the other. And, you know, we started this particular conversation with Torben talking about hybrid. And I think it makes a lot of sense, right, to bring these two extremes together in different ways. Uh, I've been talking a lot about hybrid event strategies and overall strategy year round to engage our members that might include in-person only, virtual only, and some of those hybrid in the middle as well, because we really do have to try different things to reach our audience. So that's kind of where I land in all of this conversation. But let's see what the attendees are thinking. If we can bring up that last, that poll that we did at the beginning, I want to bring it up again with a fresh start and see if we've convinced some people to fly one way or the other. So let's put that poll out there and see how we've done. All right, so we'll give it a few seconds. We're still very close, very close to what we were before. Um, looks like we have just slightly shifted some people towards the pro in person. Uh, I think we were 60 and 40. Now we're about 55, 45. I, this is clearly why we are doing this discussion because it's a very hot topic and every organization is different. I think Susan's point too about understanding your organization and knowing for your audience. I see that swing going back towards the 60% for virtual. So, <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for participating. Talking about a topic like this in 25 minutes is pretty insane, but we somehow pulled it off live. So thank you to all of our speakers and, and just continue, please, all four of you to inspire the industry to think differently about all the different ways that we can be reaching and growing our audience and our membership base while keeping them engaged. So thank you for the time. And that's it. In case you didn't quite catch that, the virtual site managed to win 5% in the course of the debate. Um, and talking about event organizers as a whole, this results in a 15% margin of error. So we need further research. Uh, Torben, I'm going to be honest, I had a math tutor in high school, so none of that made sense to me. Uh, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I'm saying we need more people in the session to really say if the audience is right, but um, it's already it was already pretty pretty solid, pretty solid data that we had there. So don't worry about it, Katrina. <laughs> okay, cool. The Association Show is a production by Event Moby, hosted by me, Torben Grosser, and Katrina Franzoy. Katrina Franzo is also our lead producer on the show. I'm the executive producer. Francisco Sietzkowski is the video and audio editor. Livestream production by Ryan Sterno and Nathan Roberts. Queenie Xu and G Nim are our graphic designers. And you can find the association show everywhere you get your podcast from and on eventmovie.com slash the association show. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone.